Welcome to the Compliance Time AML and Financial Crime Podcast. Here, you can learn from compliance experts, enthusiasts and creators who are contributing to the fast-moving and dynamic field of financial compliance. Hello everyone and welcome to Compliance Time. 2023 has just begun and it began with so much news on the crypto front. To discuss the most recent Coinbase settlement and future trends in the crypto space, joining me today is David Carlyle, the Vice President of Policy and Regulatory Affairs at Elliptic. Before joining Elliptic, David worked for the US Department of Treasury, including in the Office of Foreign Assets Control, OFAC, where he was involved in the design and implementation of US financial and economic sanctions programs involving countries such as Myanmar and Iran. In subsequent roles, David worked in the Treasury's Office of Terrorist Financing and Financial Crimes and advised senior treasury officials on a wide range of topics related to sanctions, money laundering and terrorist financing. With so many expertise, we are pleased to have David with us on the show. So let's now begin this exciting episode. Hi, David, and welcome to Compliance Time. I'm really excited to host our discussion and talk more about the outlook for cryptocurrency in 2023 and some of the most recent news about Coinbase and what's going on in the crypto compliance space. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Of course. So let's start by telling us about yourself and your career so far. Yeah, thanks. Sure. So uh, I'm the vice president of policy and regulatory affairs at Elliptic, which is a blockchain analytics firm headquartered in the UK but with offices in the U.S. and Singapore. I've been with Elliptic for about four and a half years now, but my background before joining Elliptic was a mix of private and public sector roles across the regulatory and compliance space. Um, Until 2012, I worked at the U.S. Department of the Treasury, uh, including at the Office of Foreign Assets Control, or OFAC, uh, the U.S. Sanctions Office, working on U.S. sanctions policy involving countries like Iran and North Korea. Uh, But after I left government, I worked as a freelance consultant, uh, mostly advising banks and other companies on their AML compliance obligations and sanctions obligations. And it it was actually in the course of doing that consulting work uh, around 2014, I think it was late 2014 or early 2015, uh, that I became involved in some projects for crypto companies that were starting to face AML compliance obligations from the regulators. Uh, So that was really the beginning of going down the the crypto rabbit hole for me, so to speak. And, And so I've been working at the intersection of crypto and compliance and financial crime in some fashion, really, for about uh, eight years now. That's amazing. And for those who maybe don't know um, Elliptic, could you just say a few words? You mentioned some of the offices and editing crypto compliance, but what are some of the major projects that you deal with? Yeah, so as a blockchain analytics firm, um, at Elliptic, we collect data from public cryptocurrency blockchains about the illicit use of cryptocurrencies. So we uh, collect intelligence about how cryptocurrencies are being used on the dark web or by cyber criminals uh, in fraud or in other crimes. And we make that data data available in the form of software products that can be used uh, firstly by regulated businesses, such as cryptocurrency exchanges and banks to enable them to comply with their AML and sanctions obligations, uh, but also by law enforcement agencies, regulators, and other government agencies that can use the same data data for various various enforcement purposes. for things like tracking and tracing the criminal uh, criminal use of crypto by illicit actors. And basically by equipping the public and private sector with the tools needed to detect criminal activity in crypto, our aim is really to make the crypto ecosystem safer from crimes such as money laundering and sanctions evasion. So, you know, as I mentioned, you know, our clients at this stage include not only crypto exchanges, but also some of the largest financial institutions in the world at this stage, 
Uh, also, major fintech businesses such as Revolut that are involved in cryptocurrencies in one way or another. Uh, and as I mentioned before, government agencies too. Uh, in, in my own role, I lead a lot of our engagement with regulators around the world, uh, with policymakers and with organizations such as the Financial Action Task Force. Um, I think, as you can probably imagine, there's a huge focus on crypto in those places now and, and a huge need for a better understanding of the crypto space. So in my average day, I might spend time speaking in the morning to a compliance team at a bank about risks they're starting to encounter uh, in their business that are related to crypto and uh, who are facing decisions about how to comply with regulation that impacts crypto. And well, in the afternoon, I might spend my time speaking to regulators who are trying to tackle some very complex supervisory challenges related to crypto. So uh, yeah, we get an interesting vantage point kind of at the middle and the juncture of the public and private sectors in terms of how they're encountering the crypto space. That's really interesting. Thank you for sharing. And yes, there will be more and more need in traditional finance. There'll be more and more touch points, first of all, between uh, crypto and traditional finance. And from that, of course, more and more risks to be discussed because everything has a certain level of risk, right? Um, Let's come back to the topic of um, what has happened in 2020. Well, we are just 10 days now within in the new year, and we already started with um, breaking news about compliance failures in one of the largest crypto exchanges, Coinbase. Um, they agreed to pay $100 million, which is quite significant. Can you please tell us a bit of a summary about the findings of the New York State Department of Financial Services and what's going currently on with uh, Coinbase. Yeah, sure. So uh, as some listeners are probably familiar with, uh, NYDFS, the New York State regulator whom you mentioned, um, in addition to regulating the broader financial services sector in, in New York State, they administer a crypto regulatory framework known as the bit license regime. And Coinbase is one of just a, a couple dozen crypto exchanges that have been authorized to operate in New York with this license. It's a, it's a very stringent licensing process, and, and not many crypto businesses have received it. Uh, now, just about a week ago on January 4th, uh, NYDFS announced a settlement agreement with Coinbase related to deficiencies that NYDFS had identified during the review of the exchange that they conducted across 2018 and 2019. And the primary findings from that review related to deficiencies in Coinbase's arrangements for processing high-risk customer files requiring enhanced due diligence, or EDD, uh, as well as for handling transaction monitoring alerts. And basically, NYDFS found that um, the exchange had racked up a backlog of about 14,000 high-risk customer files needing further due diligence work, uh, and about 100,000 transaction monitoring alerts that hadn't been ac adequately processed, uh, which in turn led to, uh, to gaps and delays in SAR filings. So, you know, those backlogs had significant repercussions for other aspects of, of Coinbase's compliance framework as well. Uh, additionally, NYDF has found that many aspects of their compliance program were, were still fairly immature, uh, whereas I think NYDFS used the term were relatively tick box in nature, so that, you know, important and key risks were not being adequately, adequately addressed. Uh, so as you mentioned, uh, in light of these findings, Coinbase agreed to pay $100 million as part of the settlement. Uh, 50 million of, of those dollars actually are uh, for violations and to be paid directly to the regulator, while the other $50 million uh, Coinbase has agreed that it will devote to upgrades to its compliance program, but but certainly a, a significant action for the crypto space. Uh, yeah, absolutely true. And I think yesterday I came across an article which was saying that there will be layoffs in the compliance stuff of Coinbase. Um, have you seen that? Is that going to happen? Or I just stumbled upon some <laughs> fake news. 
Uh, yeah, well, there, there certainly have been, uh, you know, a, a number of layoffs across the crypto industry. And I think uh, yesterday Coinbase announced that they were uh, letting go uh, another 20% or so of staff. Um, you know, I think the, the turbulence in the crypto markets has definitely hit a, a number of large businesses, not not just them, but but many across the sector. Uh, you know, the, the, I think broader kind of uh, economic headwinds combined with turbulence in crypto markets has, has proved very challenging for a number of the industry. But, you know, I, th I think from the, you know, going back to the NYDFS settlement, um, I, I think there was a, you know, a, a particularly interesting lesson there. Um, you know, I think what's most interesting about that particular settlement is not even so much the size of the penalties or the nature of the violations, but actually the cause of it. So um, NYDFS and the settlement notes that, you know, many of the problems in that particular case occurred as a result of massive growth in Coinbase's customer base. So as more and more users were signing up with Coinbase, as its customer numbers skyrocketed, as its trading volumes exploded, uh, the exchange's compliance arrangements simply couldn't keep up. And that resulted in CDD files and transaction monitoring alerts getting processed with major delays, in some cases maybe not at all. And, you know, I think the reason this is so important is that, you know, it's a very common problem we see uh, not only in the crypto industry, but uh, in other parts of the fintech space and even in the banking sector, when, say, a bank launches a new product line or service, that grows faster than their compliance arrangements manage to, to scale and keep up. You know, Coinbase, I think, are generally a, a very good, responsible actor in this space. You know, they're a publicly listed company. Uh, they have had a large compliance team, though. I mean, you know, as you know, they, like others in the industry, have, have had some, some uh, downsizing and layoffs. But, um, you know, I think if something like this can happen to them, it can happen to nearly anyone in this space. And so I think that's really the, the real lesson from this particular action is that, you know, as you scale your business, it's really critical to scale your compliance arrangements alongside it. And that's some, that's certainly a big focus for us at Elliptic, where we focused on building software that can help regulated businesses scale their compliance activities. That's really true. And as far as I remember, the uh, findings of the New York Department were for the period 2018, 2019 or 20, when Really, there is a, there was a huge interest in cryptos. So, um, I, I guess the customer base of Coinbase went more than twofold, <laughs> um, uh, experienced twofolded growth at least, if not more. So, yeah, there, there are for sure such moments that even I guess the firm did not anticipate that, and there is a lag, of course, in hiring, training, and preparing. Um, staff that will be compliance staff or any staff for that matter that will be ready to um, handle the volumes and the, the new way the business is operating. Do you have maybe any other key takeaways from, um, from this that will be relevant for other crypto firms or other financial institutions? I mean, I think this is really just all about the, you know, the maturation of the industry. Um, I mean, I think, as you noted, a lot of these findings were really historical going back, um, you know, four or five years, uh, you know, and other similar enforcement actions we've seen taken by um, OFAC, FinCEN, and other regulators. Um, that's generally been the case. Most of the uh, violations in, in these crypto-related enforcement actions have tended to, um, you know, date back to the period about you know, 2015 to, to 2020, you know, when the industry was rapidly growing, uh, maturing. You know, and I think there was a, a greater appreciation starting to come to light about the importance of compliance. And so, you know, I think things are, are different now across many parts of the industry, even, you know, in, in 2020, 
2022, 2023 than they were even just a few years ago. And so, you know, I, I think this is part of just making the industry stronger, uh, more resilient and, and helping it to grow and mature. Yeah. Um, and to continue our discussion, just a few days ago, the US Fed and the OCC issued a joint statement on crypto assets risks. How do you perceive that? Uh, and what are some of the highlights there? Yeah, so uh, happy to talk about that one. So the, the joint statement you mentioned was issued on, on the 3rd of January, uh, actually by, by three banking supervisors in the US, uh, the Fed and the OCC, as you mentioned, and also the uh, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, or FDIC. And um, that statement really is a warning from those regulators to banks that banks need to be extremely careful about managing any exposure they may have to crypto assets or, or crypto asset related risks. Um, while the statement doesn't really mention anyone by name, it, it's clear that the impetus for this has been a lot of instability in crypto markets across 2022. Uh, that included, but wasn't certainly wasn't limited to the collapse of the, the FTX exchange last year, which I think has been uh, huge news the past couple of months. Now, I, I think there's increasing concern, not only among regulators in the US, but among global organizations like the G20, the Financial Stability Board, and the Bank for National Settlements, that instability in crypto markets is not only growing in scale and consequence, you know, with investors ensuring really significant losses, but could start to seep into the banking sector if it's not controlled. And the fear is really that if the banking sector becomes increasingly exposed to crypto, either by banks directly offering crypto custody services, for example, or just by maintaining relationships with cryptocurrency businesses, then risks and contagion in crypto markets could eventually spread into the banking sector and you know, potentially cause crises in broader financial markets. So that's really what that joint statement was about. It's a warning to banks of certain risks they can face from exposure to crypto, risks related to fraud, financial crime, market manipulation, run risks, and other risks, uh, and reminds them that they need to have appropriate risk management frameworks in place before engaging in crypto-related activities. And it's really the, the banking supervisors of the U.S. You know, sending a strong message to the financial institutions overseas that they expect them to, to really undertake robust risk management if they're going to uh, expose themselves in one form or another to crypto. Um, you know, so for banks, I think it's really going to be key that they ensure they have compliance arrangements in place to help them identify any crypto related exposure that they may have, uh, which sometimes may be things that they don't necessarily even may not really even be aware of. Um, you know, it's possible for banks to be facilitating transactions on behalf of cryptocurrency businesses and not necessarily realizing it. Um, so being able to identify those types of connections is important. Um, but then, you know, banks also need to ensure they have controls in place to manage those risks when they identify them. And, and this is something we actually do already at Elliptic. Uh, we work with a, a number of large financial institutions to help them identify exposure to crypto businesses among their fiat currency transactions so they can identify, you know, nested financial crime risks in, in transactions they might process involving crypto. So uh, I, I think, you know, we're going to continue to see, really see a major focus on this from banking supervisors and watchdogs across this year. Uh, we're already seeing some things play out that will no doubt, I think, uh, reinforce their their view. Uh, just last week, for example, Silvergate Bank, uh, a bank in California that uh, has had established a lot of relationships with cryptocurrency exchanges, announced that it had basically written off uh, $8 billion in losses from its exposure to, to crypto firms, including primarily FTX in that case. So um, I think cases like that will definitely make banking regulators sit up 
and focus on you know the, the potential impact of these risks even more and place demands on financial institutions to show that they can control and manage crypto related risks yeah um at first i saw some responses that this can be you know a negative thing okay the regulator is saying there is too much risk we should not do anything about crypto but actually i think it's it has also its positive connotation because it says yes there is risk but we are not telling you to stop doing business with crypto businesses and crypto exchange firms and everything crypto related but we are just saying that there is risk so you have to be careful and you have to plan your compliance framework and program around that risk so you can make sure you're not accepting unnecessary risk and exposing you know your investors customers etc to that so i think i think it's a rather, rather positive statement though i saw that um some negative connotations on the social media ones it's being shared like, yeah. oh my god they said it's yeah risky. well I, I think it's a bit of both so I, I think you're right i mean and that's a great point you know the the in that joint statement the supervisors do make the point that they're not stopping any financial institutions from are prohibiting them from getting into the crypto space. Um, and, and I think, you know, my hope would certainly be that they sort of don't try to, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and make it, you know, attempt to make it nearly impossible for banks to to engage with the crypto space in some form or another. Um, one thing those regulators have stressed though, is that banks need to seek approval from them prior to um, engaging in certain specific activities. So it's clear that these banking supervisors want to have an understanding of where banks have exposure to crypto. And the OCC, for example, has previously clarified that it wants banks to seek approval for them prior to launching crypto-related activities or engaging in them. And actually, um, NYDFS in December issued some similar guidance where it basically told New York banks, um, if you're going to engage in crypto activity, you know, you need to come and speak to us first about it, show us that you've got the proper risk management frameworks in place. So, you know, my, my hope certainly is that um, this will actually lead to a, a positive place, um, and, and I think it should. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's a need for banks to walk away completely for any plans they have to to get into the crypto space. But it definitely shows that regulators are going to um, take it very seriously, and they're going to want to see that you've got you, you know you've got really robust compliance arrangements in place before you start interacting with the the crypto space too too closely. Yeah, that's also a good thing that the regulators will have a certain involvement because we saw that. There were many frauds that occurred, sometimes even not necessarily involving crypto, but mentioning crypto, like the, the OneCoin uh, scheme or, you know, um, most recently this uh, FTX collapse. So, yeah, um, speaking yeah. of that, um, let's talk about the future. Elliptic recently published its regulatory outlook report 2023. Can you tell us the most interesting part and what are some of the um predictions that you put in there? Yeah, so uh, as you mentioned, you know, back in December, Elliptic, uh, we, we do this every year, but uh, towards the end of the year, we released what we call our regulatory outlook report, uh, offering some of our predictions for, for the coming year. And, and, and that's what we did looking ahead to uh, 2023. Um, and, uh, certainly one of the things we we felt mentioned in that report uh, would set the tone for 23 was certainly the shadow of, of the FTX collapse we've already mentioned, and which is they sparked plenty of calls for more regulation of the space. And, and one thing we did predict uh, in our report was that regulators would focus more on preventing crypto contagion from reaching the banking sector. So um, that's something that that prediction of ours is already playing out just in the first few days of, of 2023, as, as you know, we were talking about a moment ago. Um, do you think, you know, more broadly and generally, globally, 
uh, we're going to see a march towards, in most major economies, a very comprehensive regulatory frameworks for the crypto space that align regulation for crypto much more to what we see in other sectors. So uh, prudential regulation, uh, market conduct regulation, consumer protection and safeguarding requirements, uh, things that really haven't existed for the most part for the crypto space now, which is primarily until now been, been limited mostly to AML regulation. So I think we're going to see um, uh, really a bigger focus on, on regulators trying to bring stability uh, and, and conduct rules to the market. Um, now, all of this is going to be seen, I think, by regulators that are really essential part of trying to prevent the next FTX. And I think to design those regulatory measures, regulators already around the world already actually have a pretty good model or decent model they can look to or at least base some of their, their work on, which is uh, an EU initiative called the Markets and Crypto Asset Regulation or, or MECA. Uh, MECA is a, an EU proposal uh, that is it's a behemoth piece of uh, regulation. Uh, that's extremely broad, uh, and it's due to be uh, approved very shortly and will come online uh, across 2024. And I think Mika is really going to offer a model for a lot of the world in terms of what crypto regulation will look like. And I think we'll see car- countries start to shape their regulatory frameworks in a way that, you know, will never be fully harmonized. We're not going to have a global regulatory framework, but uh, it's aligned to many of the themes and, and things we've seen in Mika so far. So but you can expect that Mika is going to offer sort of a blueprint for how lots of countries around the world will, will look to regulate this space. Um, I think, you know, in 2023, we're also going to see a lot more action on the sanctions front. Uh, in 2022, there was a, a huge focus on sanctions and its interception, intersection with crypto. Uh, I think in part due to fears that Russia might use crypto to evade sanctions after it invaded Ukraine, uh, but also around you know, the OFAC sanctions that were imposed on the tornado cast mixing service uh, mixing service last year uh, which proved very controversial so i think we're going to see in fact double down on sanctions impacting the crypto space uh, again this year uh, i think we'll see more sanctions directed uh, not just at mixers but other parts of the crypto ecosystem as well uh, like decentralized finance applications are, are using for money laundering. Uh, so I think regulators turn a lot of attention to what at Elliptic we refer to as cross-chain crime or the ability of criminals to move funds across different blockchains and through different assets in ways designed to make it harder to trace funds. Uh, over the past few years, uh, largely owing to the growth of, of decentralized finance or DeFi, uh, we've seen criminals engage in substantial money laundering, what are known as cross-chain bridges, services that allow you to seamlessly move funds between the Bitcoin blockchain and Ethereum blockchain and other blockchains very, very swiftly without having to go through a regulated intermediary. Uh, We estimate that about $4 billion has already been laundered uh, through these types of services to date and is growing. Uh, We we expect to see see this sort of cross-chain laundering increase. Um, I think that's inevitably going to draw attention from regulators, from organizations like the FATF, who I think are going to be talking more about more and more about the steps they want the private sector to take to address these growing risks from cross-chain crime. Uh, so anyway, I don't want to spoil the, the report too much. Uh, there's a lot more in it. Uh, there are plenty of other predictions in it. You can you can read um, uh, in our regulatory outlook report. Uh, it's on our website for anyone who does want to see it. Uh, so yeah, recommend a, a read of it. I'll include also a link to the show notes of the episode so people can directly access uh, the report from there. Um, one last question. If you would advise um, anyone who's working in crypto compliance now or wants to work there, what they should prepare for, for this year? What, what they, I mean, what kind of skills or maybe some kind of technical knowledge that they need to build on for this year to be relevant on the market? 
Yeah, I'm certainly biased, but I think um, acquiring skills in blockchain analytics is always extremely relevant because um, criminals are continuously evolving the way that they uh, launder money, uh, evolving new typologies that I mentioned, like cross-chain crime that, that are designed to make it harder for compliance teams and for regulators and law enforcement agencies to detect what they're doing. And so I think um, understanding how blockchain analytics can uh, uncover those types of uh, typologies and behaviors and risks is, is absolutely critical. Uh, and I think a you know component of that is ensuring you're trained um, not just in using the systems that can help to detect it, but in understanding a lot of the underlying typologies. Uh, you know, at Elliptic, we do a lot of work to publish information on typologies. We, we publish an annual typologies report on how criminal behaviors in the, in the ecosystem are evolving. Uh, we also run a lot of training programs to that effect. So I think really upskilling uh, continuously is, is incredibly important. I think, you know, the other message I, I sort of said, and we alluded to this before, is, you know, I think 2023 is really going to be the year that um, the, the crypto uh, space is really expected to undertake a level of, of very robust compliance, um, you know, akin to what we see in other parts of the financial services sector, uh, uh, you know, like the banking sector. I, I think we're going to see a convergence about uh, around the, the quality and type and nature of compliance in the crypto space, uh, uh, aligning to that that already exists in the banking world. Uh, the, you know, the requirements are going to be more stringent. There's going to be more expectations of accountability and governance. And so I think it's just to say, you know, I think people in the crypto space need to take this incredibly seriously. I, I do think a lot, you know, most of the responsible actors in the space are already moving that direction, as, as we mentioned before. Um, but but I think this is going to be be the year where we really see um, the, you know, the crypto industry make a number of leaps forward in terms of maturing the way it does compliance. And so, you know, 2023 was, a, sorry, 2022 was a year of a lot of, uh, instability. Uh, it's got some bad news stories for the industry, but but I think um, ultimately 2023 is going to be a year where the where the crypto industry you know can build back by um, you know maturing the way it does compliance. And so that's that's a big focus of what you know how we are focusing our energy at Elliptic. Thank you, David. Thank you for this um, information and for everything you shared with us and for your time, of course, uh, to, to take part in compliance time. It was a pleasure meeting you and listening from you again. I will include some uh, links to the reports that we mentioned on the show notes so people can uh, access them. And um, yeah, looking forward on future collaborations that we can uh, discuss when it comes to crypto. Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Compliance Time. If you like this episode, remember to give us a five-star review. You can now leave us a voice message or become a super compliance fan and even earn a special reward. Just go to podinbox.com slash compliance time. That is P-O-D-I-N-B-O-X dot com. If you didn't get that, the link will be in the show notes. Till next week.